This podcast is sponsored by the Virginia Museum of History and Culture. Journey through Virginia's rich history and discover hidden treasures. You can learn more at virginiahistory.org. Hello and welcome to Episode 7, Behind the Sounds of Season 2. I'm your host, Rachel DePampa, an investigative reporter with the TV station NBC12 in Richmond. I also work for InvestigateTV.com, and when I'm not dabbling in financial and consumer news, I'm podcasting, and I love it. (laughs) How we got here takes us a long time to put together. We need to write and research and get interviews for many of these stories. We have to find the best music, the best sound, and mix it all together. So this is just a glimpse of what goes into making a podcast like How We Got Here. But I could not do this alone. I have two excellent partners, digital director Kate Albright, who likes to be mysterious and remain behind the scenes. But don't be fooled, we could not pull this off without her. So many thanks to her for her long, long hours and weekends mixing this podcast for all of you. Thank you, Kate. Joining me now, my executive producer extraordinaire. I have a nifty little intro for you. Wow, you have it all written out. <laughs> I just made small little notes. <laughs> all right, I need a I need an intro. Everyone needs an intro. I mean, really, this podcast would not happen without him. He treks all over Virginia getting interviews. He whistles for duels to the death. He writes, and he even imitates a 19th century reporter. Hi, Colton. Hi, Rachel. How did I know that you'd bring up my whistling and my uh, great voice work that you've asked me to do? Well, not even that. We're going to play it right now. Like a monster bird, the invention hovered above the breakers and circled over the rolling sand hills at the command of its navigator. I have to say, it is my favorite thing to listen to. And Colton threatened me when he made it in the recording and said, do not show this to everyone in the newsroom. So what did I do? She showed it to literally everyone in the newsroom. And I could only hear her laughing from across the newsroom for about two hours after I did it. (laughs) I gave her two separate versions. I don't even think she got around to listening to the second version until she had laughed herself out of the first one. So here we are. True story. I've never heard the second part. The first one was just so good on the first take. You're you're a natural. I do what I can for the podcast. (laughs) He does a lot for the podcast. I would say... Well, this season I've written more, so I'm going to go with he writes 70% instead of 80. I think 75% is fair, but that's all I'll give. Colton, what was your favorite episode this season? My favorite episodes are probably episode two and four. The streetcar part of episode two and the dueling part of episode two were both so fun to write. And then episode four, the Battle of Fredericksburg and the death of George Washington and Mount Vernon, those two segments, all the experts I talked to for those were just fantastic, made it really easy to write. Honestly, they kind of wrote themselves after I sat down and took a look at my interviews and the information I had. It was it was so easy to write them, and I really enjoyed kind of how uh, you, Rachel, made them come to life in the editing process. Moi, I get credit? <laughs> So let's start with Harry Kolatz Jr. because he was so memorable as I was editing in episode two, The Trolleys. I have received so many messages from all of you 
and it so resonated with you that the city just burned all the trolleys. A lot of you weren't even surprised that that happened. It was like you expected that's how that story would end. Colton, tell us about Harry, because he's amazing, and he's with Richmond Magazine. The guy knew literally everything there is to know about these streetcars and this system in Richmond. And he's handing me books that are stacked on his desk of, you know, have you read this? Have you read this? And he's kind of just handing me stacks of books at a time. And then when he got to that one segment about the description of that final trolley car that didn't want to burn, he's kind of reading me little excerpts of it. And I kind of said, you know, would you mind just reading that whole section for us? Rachel used it as I hoped she would, and just that whole section in all of its glory of him just reading it start to finish, I think, was absolutely fantastic, and he did it the justice that I think nobody else could have done. They drenched old number 408 in gasoline. They chopped holes in her still sturdy hull. They added oil and shoveled on hot wood coals. They, they stood back to watch her burn. I was so glad you asked him to read that section because, like you said, nobody else could have done that. And it was just breathtaking. As for Harry, though, I want to say he's a fantastic journalist. And you know that because he sounds and writes exactly how he speaks. And it even comes through in his emails. Rachel emailed him after the episode dropped and you kind of thanked him and for being part of it with us. And he responded to her and said that uh, he was going to spread the episode around like Duke's mayonnaise. (laughs) Which uh, everyone in the newsroom got a good laugh out of, and uh, we're hoping that he did spread it as as far around as the popularity of that condiment goes in Central Virginia. (laughs) I really, when I read that email, I just burst out laughing. Thank you, Harry. I want to tell you, the anti-dueling in that episode was so much fun to edit. And I had to walk around the building, and little known secret, I asked about four or five people to whistle for me, and I said, give me that Western sound when you whistle. And I just want to point out that Andrew Frieden said he couldn't do it. And a bunch of other people said they couldn't do it. So I go back to Colton, and sure enough, he knew exactly what I was looking for and did it spot-on perfect the first try. I'm sure that my wife will laugh when she hears this, but she hears my whistling all day long at home. So I was kind of secretly hoping Rachel would ask me, but I didn't really want to do it that much right away. So I let her kind of go around the building and fail a few times, and I'm I'm actually happy to know that I can do something that Andrew Frieden can't. Um, And then uh, when she came to me, I thought, you know, sure, I'll give it a try. I think it only took me two takes in the audio booth, and I thought they were okay. I didn't know they were going to actually work out, but it turns out it did. Okay, I have to tell everyone, I went and saw Hamilton the first Friday it was here in Richmond. And if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. The Marquis de Lafayette, one of my favorite characters in it. And I learned all about the Marquis by doing the story of James Lafayette for this podcast. And that episode really resonated with me. I found some spy music that would kind of go. But here's this former slave turned spy helps our country win its freedom, and then he's returned to slavery. And then it's the Marquis de Lafayette that gets him back out. That episode for me just spoke volumes. Yeah, and the James Lafayette segment was a lot of fun to write too because there were just so many layers to that, right? I mean, he's a slave, but he can read and write, so he's looked at as more valuable. And then he goes behind enemy lines, and, you know, we think that he was the servant to British General Charles Cornwallis, which I'm sure 
Most of you are sick of hearing Rachel say that name because we say his name at least, I don't know, once or twice an episode, it feels like at this point. But then, you know, that rock star tour of the Marquis de Lafayette recognizing James in the crowd, which is pretty accepted at this point, you know, that happened. That was just, that gave me chills just writing that part of the story. That moment of recognition and that embrace that those two shared, whether that was here in Richmond or whether that was in Yorktown, is just, I think, a moment in American history that isn't very well known, but I think it should be because it really is kind of a defining moment, um, if not for the Marquis de Lafayette, certainly for James. My favorite line he wrote, there's now a James Lafayette in New Kent County. And shout out to Kate Gruber with the Jamestown Yorktown Foundation. She was remarkable and really relatable as a storyteller. We have to thank the Library of Virginia. Barbara Batson is a phenomenal expert who really brought the Brown versus Board of Education story to life. Myself, being someone who's not from the East Coast, being from the Midwest originally, I had never necessarily heard of this massive resistance to Brown versus Board. When Ms. Batson was describing this to me inside the Library of Virginia, I was just astounded to hear of all this. I'd heard this story about Prince Edward County Schools, but I did not know that some of these segregation court cases lasted into the 1970s, which is quite baffling. And as Rachel mentioned, those WRVA recordings from the 50s of Virginia governors going on the radio and saying some of the things that they said, it was pretty chilling. And I think that's why uh, Rachel and I kind of chose to start that segment off with some of those recordings, because, you know, you really do get a glimpse into what people were hearing at that time. And it is, you know, kind of almost scary to think about that that wasn't really that long ago. Another one I want to talk about, episode one the Kennedy assassination. When I had to tell Colton what Camelot was. Come on, y'all. We all know Camelot, right, Colton? You know what it is now. And here I am blushing in the audio booth. No, I did not know that that was a term used for the Kennedy family. And yes, I am very ashamed, Rachel. She (laughs) likes to rub that in my face. She told all the other employees here at NBC 12, oh, guess what Colton didn't know? He didn't know Camelot was this name for the Kennedy family. I had to do it. Come on. He knows everything, and he writes all these stories. I had to give him a good jab. Also in episode one, Robert Nelson, the University of Richmond. You know the line, Colton. But he's 69 years old. That's my favorite part of episode one. He's talking about the Gettysburg Address and the orator at the time. Did I say that right? I mess up that word all the time. Yes, orator. Or in other words that Rachel doesn't enjoy, anecdote debilitating and the list goes on rural that's a fun one there are so many there are some words that you know we all have problems saying all right moving on Susanna's ride this story in episode three came to us as a tip from a listener she loves the podcast and she's a local author and she wrote a book about Susanna's midnight ride and it's a little known story in history that she's hoping will get a lot more traction Yeah, and actually that uh, tip, one of our anchors, Carla Reddit, noticed that tip and forwarded it along to Rachel and I, and we thought that was a fantastic story the way that she had described it. And Rachel made some calls, and not too long afterwards, I was uh, pulling into her driveway, and we chatted on the back deck for about, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour. A fascinating story, start to finish, frankly, and a story that really, again, like Rachel said, isn't very well known. Everyone knows Paul Revere. Some people around Central Virginia might know Jack Jewett from either elementary school or season one of the podcast. Yeah, Susanna Bowling and her ride to save the Marquis de Lafayette. Fascinating. And the fact that that property is still there in Hopewell, though not obviously how it was then, is also very fascinating. I'm hoping to actually get out there at some point. 
Also, I need to get to the halfway house to learn if these crab cakes really are the best in the area. All right, Pearl Harbor. I want you to know when I edited that section in episode three, that the sounds that you're hearing of the bombing, those are the bombs dropping on the ships. I almost wish I had pointed that out in the episode, but it was such an emotional piece that we just kind of let it ride. That was the actual sound of the bombing of Pearl Harbor that you were hearing in that episode. We would be remiss if we did not mention Frank O'Reilly and the National Park Service because he's our new Mike Gorman. You know, season one, we loved having Mike Gorman on to talk about the Civil War. Well, this season, we discovered Frank O'Reilly and Colton take it away because he is remarkable. And yeah, and actually, you know, because Mike Gorman was our season one Civil War expert, I contacted Mike about the Battle of Fredericksburg, and he was saying, check in up there at uh, the National Park Service office up in, in uh, Fredericksburg and see if they have anybody they can, uh, that can talk to you about it because they know much more than I do. And so I contacted them, and they pointed me in the direction of Frank O'Reilly, and we set up a little phone interview. And sometimes Rachel has to log my phone interviews and kind of go through them before I write these segments, and so she doesn't like me to do these interviews very long. As Frank O'Reilly started talking to me about this, I kept asking more questions, and he just knew so much. Before I knew it, that, that interview had gone well over 40 minutes. I literally said to him, 20 minutes or less. 40 minutes later, a masterpiece was born, is the short answer to that, Rachel. And normally she says no, but I think in this one she will say that yes, it was a masterpiece. It was a masterpiece. It is probably the best part of episode four. In season one, Colton and I argued over the length of a certain story, namely the opening assaults of Petersburg. So this was our battle episode, and that sucker was like 15 pages long. If I had recorded the whole thing, it would have been 30 minutes. But I will say that we made some really nice edits and got it down to about 20, 22 minutes, and it's phenomenal. If this were the land of film, we would have a executive producer's cut of the Battle of Fredericksburg that, yes, would have been probably north of 30 minutes. But Rachel and I threw squeezing our pens in anger at one another while editing that piece. I listened to it recently again, and its I think it's absolutely fantastic. Not to plug my own writing, but Rachel's editing was great, and Kate's finessing of it was fantastic. If I had to choose, that the Battle of Fredericksburg is probably my favorite segment in all of season two. Tell us about one of your now favorite Civil War experts to talk to. I know we're going to have Frank O'Reilly back on again. Yeah, and I, I already kind of emailed him thanking him again and saying that we hope to have you back. I also want to talk about the Virginia Museum of History and Culture. Not only is the museum our sponsor, but they provide us very often with Dr. Karen Cherry. And she has the unenviable job of always talking to us about a very difficult subject, slavery and the history of slavery in our country. Something a lot of people have trouble talking about and really reckoning with. She's amazing. And she does it with so much grace, as we said in the podcast. We just want to say thank you for being so willing to do this. But they also have an exhibit there. It's called Determined, the 400-year struggle for black equality from 1619 to today. So if you get a chance, go over and see it. But thank you to Dr. Karen Sherry. And one thing that I wanted to bring up, because Rachel and I also had a little battle over this that I won, was the death of George Washington, Dr. Kevin Butterfield up at Mount Vernon. Thanks again for chatting with us. 
He used kind of a metaphor in that story when he's talking about the bloodletting of the nation's first president, saying that some reports, you know, say that Washington lost dozens of ounces of blood, up to 80, one report says. And he kind of paused for a moment and he said, you know, if you've ever gotten a big gulp from 7-Eleven, they're about 36 or 40 ounces or whatever it is. He says, imagine two of those. And that, like, really painted the picture for me, and I really liked that, and I obviously was going to use that in the segment. And the moment that Rachel read over that as we were going over the script for the first time, she very nearly started gagging and couldn't handle it. And so that's when she had to add the line in that you can hear now on episode four. If you don't like talking about blood, skip ahead 30 seconds. Because Dr. Butterfield went into great detail, which I was very thankful for. Rachel was a little bit less thankful when she had to cut it and listen to it over and over and over again. But I thought it really kind of painted a picture for the viewer of just kind of how torturous this last few hours were for, the, for George Washington. And I think that was the best way to kind of discuss it. Rachel had other thoughts. He's literally trying to make me puke right now. <laughs> I really hate the discussion, the thought, the sight of blood. There's a lot of you out there who join me in this theory, so I'm going to move on so you don't want to skip ahead again. Kurt Autry. I know, all of you know Kurt Autry from NBC12, or you just love his Facebook page, which loves to stir up kind of a circus. Wouldn't you say, Colton? I think that's a very fair way to say it, Rachel. A circus is a very light way of putting it as well. But Kurt actually kind of made us aware of that story of the Muse Brothers from Beth Macy's book, True Vine. He brought that up, that up to us, I think, before we had even started season two. And so Rachel and I had always kind of thought that, you know, if we were to do an episode about that time, we were very much going to try to get Kurt to do it, but we didn't tell him about that right away. We were well into season two before we were like, okay, now we should go ask Kurt if he'll do that. And we were very thankful. Thank you, Kurt, uh, for talking with me about that. Just another fascinating story. And, you know, I think Kurt said it best that, you know, the circus nowadays is, is kind of dead. And I kind of posed the question to Kurt, you know, is the circus on the internet now with so much internet clout? You know, he kind of agreed. I think it's kind of an interesting point, an interesting thought to think about is, you know, we don't necessarily go to the circus to see things with our eyes first person, but we see enough of a circus of uh, human behavior on the internet and that we don't necessarily have to pay a ticket price for to go into a big tent and see. I think the last one that Colton wanted to talk about is the Richmond Theater, because he is fascinated by this story. Every year when it comes around, he makes sure to put it in the 5 o'clock news because he is the 5 o'clock producer here at NBC12. And there was even a moment in that story where Colton and I, we had a disagreement. We certainly did. And this story I only discovered because I was walking by Monumental Church, which still stands today. And I just could not believe that this story wasn't well known about Richmond, that this, you know, what was the worst urban disaster in America at the time, um, 1811, I believe, the day after Christmas. I was stunned that just wasn't more well known. And some of the firsthand accounts we have from that night are just horrifying and quite graphic. Rachel will be the first to tell all of our listeners that I will usually take a page out of Kurt Autry's book and say, do it now and apologize later. And so I would put some of the more graphic things in there because I think it paints a better picture for the listener. Rachel sometimes thought they were a little too graphic, including this Richmond fire story. There were some descriptions of kind of what was left over afterwards. I won't say it now because Rachel and I are standing in a small room together. 
but you know stuff like that that I would try to include that would make it and but you know like the big gulp in Washington that was going to make it and I told Rachel that if she took that out we would have way bigger problems so I'm glad she didn't So we want to shout out to the Virginia Museum of History and Culture, the Library of Virginia, the Jamestown Yorktown Foundation, Mount Vernon, the University of Richmond, Tredegar, the Richmond National Park Service, the Fredericksburg National Park Service. Thank you all for helping us in this season. And guess what? Colton, you want to tell them? No, Rachel. I think you should tell our listeners in your terrible British accent. Bloody hell. There's going to be a season three. (laughs) Okay, only the first part of that was British. The rest was not. But anyway, we're going to have a season three. We're going to begin working on it very soon, and you should see it this spring. I'm very excited, and actually we're going to start researching topics as we speak. So if any of you listeners have anything happening uh, in the springtime that you think we should cover, shoot us an email, send Rachel a message on social media anywhere with a date and kind of description of what it was. An email address would be howwegothere at NBC12.com. Thank you so much, Colton. Thanks so much, Rachel. Let's hear that clip one more time. <laughs> okay, I won't do it to him. And as we mentioned, season three is a go. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back in your life this spring. <laughs> <laughs>